put in. And now we get to turn our attention towards the word. And we're going to do this in a very Christmassy way. So if you would take your seats, you can sit down right now. I love art. Anybody in the room love art? I, I took every art class in high school, some of them twice, because by senior year, I ran out of classes to take. So I took painting over, and I took photo over. And I just have grown to love the way that artists over the years have captured moments with their imaginations for us to see the beauty of what's going on. And it's the philosopher Dante who said, beauty awakens the soul to act. And I think at the hearing of the word, which we're going to do right now, out of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 40... That there is beauty that is given to us in the description of the way that Jesus came into this world. And this season is celebrated at this time and saying, Jesus, you have come. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday, Jesus. Which by kids in the room, by the way, if you haven't yet figured it out, we're celebrating Jesus's birthday. Okay, that's what we're doing. And we're doing it for 12 days straight. But that at this joy and at this beauty that's awakening, that the light of the world has come and light awakens us from our slumber. It happens in the morning, and it happens when Jesus comes into our lives to say, I was asleep, I was dead, but now I am alive, and I'm awake in Jesus. And then I think those words of Dante ring true in this idea that beauty awakens our souls to act. And then I'm going to read through this, but I've also captured a number of images from the church throughout the centuries that artists from 13th century frescoes on churches in Istanbul or, 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 or you know, paintings in the, in the Renaissance era, that these artists heard this word and they were awakened to the wonder of God that Jesus, a child with us, would be the good news, that Jesus, a child with us, would be the light of the world and that our souls would awake and then respond. So as I read these words, the words won't be up on the screen. I'm going to read them as a story out of the message translation, but you get to enjoy the art and see and join in this creative, responsive act of God, you have awakened us with your light and we respond in acts of beauty. So, Luke, chapter two, starting in verse one. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. You've already seen some of these beautiful responses. One of them is from a Flemish painter named Pieter Bruegel, painted in 1566. That's them on their journey. And the story continues. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. I want you to pause on this one. I love in any art, there is this response of what is the source of light in that piece of artwork? Is it the moon at night or a candle or a flame or a fire? Is it the sun in the daytime? And these artists catch on to this imagery of the son of God, the light of the world coming into us. And you'll see on this one explicitly and then throughout the rest of them, a source of light in the art itself isn't a candle, it's not a sun, it's the son, 
It's Jesus himself, and from him radiates light into the rest of the paintings. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Oh, I read that one. Verse 8. There were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A savior has just been born in David's town. A savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God and the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over. Let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The shepherds returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. Verse 21. When the eighth day arrived, the day of circumcision, the child was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Then when the days stipulated by Moses for purification were complete, they took him up to Jerusalem to offer him to God as commanded in God's law. Every male who opens the womb shall be a holy offering to God and also to sacrifice the pair of doves or two young pigeons prescribed in God's law. In Jerusalem at the time, there was a man Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. I'm going to read that again. There was a man, Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died. Led by the Spirit, he entered the temple. As the parents of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God. God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you promised. With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see a God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and of glory to the people, Israel. Jesus' father and mother were speechless. With surprise at these words, Simeon went on to bless them and said to Mary, his mother, this child marks both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel. A figure misunderstood and contradicted. The pain of a sword thrust through you, but the rejection will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. And Anna the prophetess was also there, a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was by now a very old woman. She had been married seven years and a widow for 84. She never left the temple area, 
worshiping night and day with her fastings and prayers. At the very time Simeon was praying, she showed up and broke into an anthem of praise to God and talked about the child to all who were waiting expectantly for the freeing of Jerusalem. When they finished everything required by God in the law, they returned to Galilee and their own town, Nazareth. There the child grew strong in body and wise in spirit, and the grace of God was on him. The gospel of the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, (laughs) we exalt you this morning. We exalt you, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We exalt you. And we pray this morning as we reflect on your scriptures that the light of the world would continue to shine on us that your light, your love will be shed abroad in our hearts, that we would be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, and that we would shine as the sons and daughters of God in the world, as those who have seen the light and now our faces radiates the lights of God into the world. Help us, we pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good morning, New Life Downtown, and Merry Christmas to all of you who are here, to those of you that are watching online. We hope you are doing well uh, watching maybe the service in your pajamas this morning. Uh, We love you. We miss you. Hope to be able to gather with you again soon. Uh, one of my favorite days when I was a little kid, uh, especially like early elementary, you know, those preschool and kindergarten years, one of my favorite days or favorite moments in the school day was show and tell. The opportunity to bring something that you've been given and show everybody in the class and tell them about it. I especially loved it in January after everybody's coming back from Christmas and you have like, for me, it was like the new action figure either from Star Wars or G.I. Joe or He-Man or it was a new baseball card that I got. I just couldn't wait to show my friends even though they didn't really care about the baseball cards. Uh, I just was so excited to come and bring it and show and excited to see what everybody else got as well. The Christmas story, interestingly, has some resonance with this, but it's not so much a show-and-tell kind of story, but the Christmas story is a see-and-tell kind of story. It's an invitation, really, for us into a life of seeing and telling. It's a life that gets modeled for us by numerous characters kind of in the story that Pastor Evan read for us, but first it gets modeled for us by the shepherds. We know the story that when Jesus was born, there were some shepherds in a nearby field minding to their own sheep. And then the angel appears, and like all angels, every time they appear, the angel says, don't be afraid. And people are like, too late. Like, we're already terrified. And I I wonder, like, after reading the scriptures, like, are the angels ever going to learn? Like, you just can't do this. (laughs) You're going to be terrified every time. But after the humans recover, the, the angel begins to tell them the good news about Jesus. 
The angel announces that a savior has been born and that there will be a sign for them, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then if one angel wasn't terrifying enough, then a whole company, you know, joins in and begins singing. And then we read this. This is what happens immediately after the angel choir sings, that when the angels return to heaven, the shepherds turn to one another and they said, let's go right now. Let's go right now to Bethlehem and let's see what happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. And so they went quickly and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When the angels peace out, the shepherds don't turn to one another and say, well, that was weird. And then just go back to work. They don't take that response. They don't kind of turn to one another and say, well, that was cool. Babies are nice. Sheep are better. So we're just going to go around with our business. No, instead this happens and they're like, we've got to go. We got to go check this out. We've got to go and see this kid for ourselves. The message version that Evan read said, let's go as fast as we can and see this baby for ourselves. The shepherds didn't want to just hear about Jesus. They wanted to see him. And this is actually the first part of the shepherds' challenge to us. The first part of the challenge of the Christmas story is that we're invited to see Jesus for ourselves, to see Jesus for yourself. The invitation of the Christmas story is to come and see. But for us, like, that's a bit difficult, Jesus being ascended at all and not, you know, walking around. There's not a baby lying in a manger that we can go and see right now. So how do we put that together? Paul telling the, tells the Corinthian church this. He says, we as the followers of God, as the people of God, we don't focus on things that can be seen, but on things that can't be seen. Because the things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can't be seen, those things are eternal. The people of God have always said that there's a way to actually focus our lives on what we can't see, to focus our attention on someone we can't see with the physical eyes, but somehow can see with the eyes of faith. Peter puts it this way. He tells a dispersed group of Christians in 1 Peter 1, although you've never seen him, Although you've never seen Jesus with your physical eyes, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you trust him. And so rejoice with a glorious joy that is just simply too much for words. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. According to the scriptures, it's possible to love and to trust someone that we can't see. It's possible to love and to trust someone that we have never seen with our physical eyes. This is actually the purpose of Christian disciplines. This is the purpose of spiritual practices, the things that we do over and over and over and over again as Christians. The purpose of all of those things is that they are actually meant to help us to see Jesus, to experience him, to encounter him, to know him, to love him, to trust him. We read the Bible that we might see Jesus. We pray so that we can see Jesus. We fast 
so that we can see Jesus. We sing so that we can see Jesus. We serve so that we can see Jesus. We sit in silence and we withdraw to quiet places. We gather with other Christians. We follow the church calendar. We go to the waters of baptism. We come to the table of communion. We do all of these things so that we can see Jesus and that our love for Jesus might grow. If we do it for any other reason, we're actually missing the point. We're missing the point of all of those things. All of those things are gifts to us that we might see Jesus. As one of your pastors, my deep prayer for you, my deep prayer for our congregation is that we would see Jesus. That you would see Jesus for yourself. And as you think about the year ahead, we're kind of entering into that time where maybe you're starting to think about, what do I want 2022 to look like? What do I hope 2022 looks like? I know I don't want it to look like 2020. I know I don't want it to look like 2021. There's some things that I'm unsure about. There's things that I don't know. But for the things that I do know, as I think about the year ahead, my hope, my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus. That you don't stay in the field that you don't sit on the sidelines watching the life of, place, of faith take place in the people around you. That you don't simply watch faith worked out in the life of your spouse or the life of your parents or the life of a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or a mentor or someone that you know and love and respect. And my prayer for you is that you go as fast as you can to wherever Jesus is and that you would see Jesus for yourself. That you'd run to him in every way possible that you might behold the Son of God. As the story goes on, the shepherds then say this, when they saw this, when they saw Jesus, when they saw this baby lying in a manger and wrapped in cloths, when they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds had told them. When they saw this, they reported. When they saw Jesus, when they confirmed with their eyes what they had heard, when they had experienced what God had revealed to, to them, they began to tell others about Jesus. What the angels had told them, they now began to tell others. They became the angels. They became the messengers of the good news. This is what Pastor Glenn was talking about at the end of the Christmas Eve service uh, just a couple nights ago. That as we, the people of God, behold the light, as we receive the good news, we now become messengers of the good news. This is the second part. The shepherds challenged us that we would first see Jesus for ourselves and two, that we would tell others about him that we would tell others about him. What's fascinating to me about this text is that according to Luke, the shepherds told everyone about the child. They told everyone about Jesus. Maybe they included the part about the angels. Maybe they included the part about the sights and the sounds of all of that. Maybe they included something about his remarkable parents. Maybe they said something about Mary and Joseph. Maybe they said something about the animals and the manger, and the humble conditions that Jesus came into. Maybe they said something about themselves and the experience they had. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that they had to share 
the most important thing that they had to share was none of those things. What Luke says is that they told everyone what they had been told about the child. What they told everyone was the angels had said to them, Luke 2.10, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Friends, I know this sounds simple. I know this sounds basic. But we can never leave the fundamentals of our faith. We can never move past the place of seeing Jesus and telling others about him. You're here because someone told you about Jesus. I'm here because someone told me about Jesus. And we're here because someone told the people who told us about Jesus. And we're here because someone who told us told them and told the people before them about Jesus. And if you trace that all the way back, you end up with some shepherds, some fishermen, some tax collectors, some women who decided to leave everything and follow Jesus. At the very end of that line, you find some people like you and me. You find ordinary people who saw Jesus, who experienced Jesus, who came to know Jesus, who came to love and trust Jesus. And the only thing that they knew to do with that news, that the Savior had been born, that the Messiah had come, the only thing they knew to do with it was to tell somebody. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, there's a sociologist named Rodney Stark. He set out to explore, he's like, how did this happen? How did the Jesus movement move from this obscure and marginal sort of movement to the corners of the Roman Empire? How did this thing become the dominant religious force in the Western world in just a few centuries? It's like, how did that happen? How, how is this possible that this Jesus movement will become the movement that it became? And he writes this. Says Christianity did not be grow beca- did not grow because of miracle working in the marketplaces, although there may have been much of that going on. Christianity did not grow because Constantine said it should. Christianity did not even grow because the martyrs gave it such credibility. He said no, instead it grew because Christians constituted an intense community with one another. They lived with one another in ways that were unique and radical and loving, and kind, and sacrificial. And the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing number of Christian believers who invited their friends and their relatives and their neighbors to share the good news. How did Christianity grow? Because people shared the good news with their friends and their relatives and their neighbors. As you think about the year ahead, I would encourage you to ask yourself a very simple question. Who can you share the good news with this year? Who's one person that you can share the good news with this year? And know that the good news isn't about you. The good news isn't like, hey, look, I've got my life all figured out. 
The good news is like, hey, I've actually resolved all the tensions around things. The good news is that, look, I'm now living without any sort of doubt at all. The good news isn't like, hey, I've actually got all the answers to all of your questions about life and faith and the Bible and church history. I've got it all figured out and it's all prepackaged and here it is. The good news isn't about what you've accomplished or any of those kind of things or any degrees that you have or any courses that you've taken or anything that you have that says, okay, now I'm qualified to share this. The good news is simply a child has been born. Son of God, he's been given, and he lived, and he died, and he was resurrected to take away the sins of the world. And someday he'll come to make all things right and new and perfect and glorious and beautiful and good again. The good news, my friends, is Jesus, and we're invited as the people of God to see him for ourselves and to tell others about him. It's a little bit of what we do every week here as we come to the table, that as we remember the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that in these simple elements of bread and wine, we once again behold Jesus. We see him, we fix our eyes on him. And at the end of the service, we're sent back out to tell others what we've seen. Sarah, would you lead us to the table this morning?